Welcome to the 206.com podcast. I am your host, Mark Morin, and you are listening to Diversity in Film, a 206 podcast series. This podcast series features in-depth interviews with filmmakers and industry experts discussing the topic of diversity in film. Look for episodes featuring director and activist Lin Chen, director and producer Emily Ting, executive director of the Northwest Film Forum, Vivian Hua, rapper Lex the Lexicon Artist, podcast host and film critic Isabella L. Price, world-renowned Disney film producer Don Hahn, director of marketing for Smart House Creative Amy Simon, film critic and podcaster The People's Critic Tim Hall, lifestyle blogger and film critic Aaron Hunley, actor, activist, and model Anna Lynn McCord. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. Let's get to the interview. listening to 206.com and special interview series on the topic of diversity in film. And I am here with Miss Amy Simon. Amy, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for being here with me on this interview. First, I'll ask you to tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you are the director of marketing for Smart House Creative. And also, and I'm quoting you on this from your page, Film Obsessed editor and writer at Three Imaginary Girls. Tell me a little bit about what you do with both of those entities. Sure, so Smart House Creative is a small marketing agency um, based in Seattle, but we work with clients all over um, LA, Austin, Phoenix, sometimes Canada, wherever our, um, our clients are. And we just happen to work with a lot of indie film clients. We do serve other types of clients, we work with a mining technology company, um, work with a Pilates studio. So we do have a lot of other clients, but we do kind of specialize in independent films and helping filmmakers do anything from crowdfunding to um, all types of marketing and publicity, digital marketing, social media, all that kind of stuff, all those pieces that you need to fit together, film festival um, advice, just all kinds of different things. The co-founders of the company, Brad Wilkie and Ryan Davis, have been in the film industry for a long time. Ryan is a very expert publicist. Brad uh, was the film festival programmer at Portland Film Festival for a while, and he worked with Smith for a long time. Um, so therefore, uh, you know, they kind of noticed this gap in the market, marketing for indie films. You know, filmmakers make a film, and then they apply to film festivals, and they get screenings, and then they're like, okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> because not every film is gonna get picked up by a 24 or you know so a lot of people have to self-release um, a lot of people need to think about marketing around that self-release or look for a, a smaller distributor that'll pick right. them up and that's um, that's kind of where we come in we kind of nice. help with all those pieces and three imaginary girls it is primarily a music website it's been around for over 15 years gosh I've maybe 17 years. I've been with them for a little over 10, and I came on to start help covering SIF. Um, and then that just kind of evolved into me covering all kinds of stuff. Occasionally I still dip into the music side of things, um, but I don't, you know, I don't go out a lot anymore to shows and stuff. 
I uh, mostly just write about film, do film reviews there. It's great. We're just kind of, we call ourselves uh, Seattle's sparkly indie pop press. <laughs> just like we, we're just a very positive press outlet, you know? Yeah, that's what I've noticed. All the postings and all the content just seems really fun. Going to the, you know, the topic at hand here is when somebody says diversity in film, like just right off the bat, what does that mean to you? Like what hits home as like a first thought or emotion? I think that in the last few years, we've seen diversity, it, it, especially in big Hollywood films, get a lot better, right. a lot more inclusive. I still think that we have a long way to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a long way to go. But for me, one of the most thrilling things is just seeing it happen. I mean, I think like when I think of like Wonder Woman, for me as a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s, we had the Wonder Woman TV show and that was amazing right. and I loved it. But it's still, you know, it's it wasn't like when I saw the first trailer for that Wonder Woman movie, my I like almost lost my breath. I got very emotional and I cried. Yeah. You know, and I cried during the movie too. And it's some people think that's silly, but it's just like we I didn't have that growing up, you know? Right, exactly. We, we had Princess Leah, sure, we did. <laughs> people didn't, but you know, all people talked about in the 80s about Princess Leah was the gold bikini, right? So it's- Right, exactly. There wasn't, you know, I was surrounded by male cousins. I don't have any brothers and sisters. I love Star Wars and I loved everybody in Star Wars, but there wasn't anybody around me telling me that Princess Leia was a kick-ass hero. Right, there, right. There is now and it's amazing, <laughs> but like there just wasn't, there wasn't that. And to see you know, Wonder Woman, see Captain Marvel, mm. even the, the brief like five seconds <laughs> of all the women in the oh, an endgame. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, and Valkyrie, ugh, I love Valkyrie. I, wa I want Valkyrie to just have her own movie. Just anytime I see anything like that, I get so happy and so great to think, you know, that little girls can see that and think like, I can be that. I can be a hero. I can be kick-ass. The Harley Quinn movie, the Birds of Prey movie, ugh, amazing. Just like what I wanted, you know, just a comic book movie about these women yeah. that are like kicking ass. And, and Harley, just to see her so evolve from the Suicide Squad character. <laughs> It's almost totally different character. It's so different and just like, you know, I'm a fan of the Batman animated series, of course, which is where Harley originated from. And um, I loved her then. Right. And I love what Margot Robbie has done with her now. And just, I don't know, just being able to see that, like, she's a, she's still a villain, you know? She's a villain and that's, and she's complex and she has like a lot going on. It's just, I don't know. It just makes me happy to see that and I hope we continue to get more of that, you know? Or like um, talking about Star Wars, talking about The Last Jedi, which it's like the rise, I don't hate the rise of Skywalker as much as everybody else seems to. I think it was fine. I think The Last Jedi is still the strongest one in the new trilogy. And that's mostly because I loved it so much because it was so female centered. I don't know why Poe Dameron is like so full of toxic masculinity in that movie. Right, right. He is, and like they, I love that they just take him down. I love that the whole time he's like, nope, I'm not gonna listen to Holdo, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then like basically they just like, Leah just tases him and I'm like, 
<laughs> well, I think that's why Ryan Johnson did push Poe's character that way a little bit, was to set it up for his downfall and reckoning, I guess you could say. Yeah, and obviously the, the fanboys did not like it, but um, <laughs> right. I don't but I don't care, you know, or even looking at the, the Ghostbusters remake, which I think is good. I didn't love it, but right. what I do love about it is that there are all these little girls in, running around in Ghostbusters costumes, right. feeling empowered and just very, you know, being very excited and yeah. like, I don't understand the opposition to those things. I don't, <laughs> I mean. Well, that's, yeah, that's one of the things that I think about a lot in that exact context is people don't understand the meaning of just the representation. Yeah. Like just being, like you put it, just being able to see yourself in those characters rather than it always being Luke or Han or Superman or Captain America or Tony Stark. You know, yeah. now you're seeing Margot Robbie as, as Harley Quinn. Now you're seeing Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. You're seeing Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. It's almost hard to explain what that would mean, especially coming from my perspective. But you know, you're you're putting it a lot more eloquently than I could of just what that actually means to a young girl, to a woman who's never had the opportunity to see that, or when it's been available, it's still kind of in a different context. Like I think you were mentioning about Leia. It's like yes, she was a strong, empowered woman who really didn't take any crap from anybody, but at the same time, the symbol of her was the bikini from Return of the Jedi. So yeah. it's like, okay, like what's really going on here with who her character is so yeah it's, that's how i'm looking at this kind of new wave of, of female heroes is all of these girls and you know we go to conventions and film festivals and see them in these costumes and you know just a few years ago seeing dozens of girls dressed up as ray it was like oh my god this is amazing i love seeing this and then seeing girls dressed up as wonder woman and these characters that we're referencing i think that's the real impact that a lot of people just gloss over. And it's also tainted, because like I think about that too from my perspective. I've always had those heroes and icons. I don't know what it means to not have that available to me. Yeah. I've always had some character that I could get their action figure and pretend that's me and read their comic book and that type of stuff. So I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, kind of in the same time frame that you're talking about of you know these new characters that we're referencing is like, that's really cool that girls get to have that experience now. Yeah, it's so amazing and it makes me so happy. And, you know, and my heart is just full about it and enjoying it now, you know, and just being like, yeah, this is like how it should have always been. Right. You know, instead of, I mean, it's just, you know, and it's a different time and that time is allowing for these things to happen. You know, I think in my time, all that stuff was so sexualized. It, even if we did have the uh, female superhero represented like Wonder Woman or Bionic Woman or something, it still, it just had a different light to it. it just wasn't, right. you know, people didn't talk about it in the same way that they talked right, about exactly. it. Right, exactly. Yeah, I remember watching the Wonder Woman TV show as a kid. It was cool to watch the show because it was a comic book character, but mm -hmm. at the same time, my little boy brain is like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful and look yeah. at her twirl around and that, and there was a lot of sexualization in there that, you know, then gets embedded as, you know, that's mm -hmm. who that type of character is. But one thing I really liked about <laughs> Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey was she doesn't have any little skimpy outfits and yes. everything is really, you know, she's wearing clothes. They're very flamboyant and very Harley Quinn, but they're not nearly as sexualized as what we saw in Suicide Squad and what you typically think of her. And I think that is one of the reasons why it didn't achieve like the success and popularity that I thought it would. And a yeah. lot of people were hoping for because the male demographic was like, well, why isn't she wearing a bikini? 
you know, and that, that's simplifying it a little bit, but there's even on a subconscious level, I think there's a lot of impact in that regard. So it's, it was interesting to see that play out. One thing I really liked about that movie too is just how all of the different characters were very unique. And yeah. they were able to pull that from the history of DC. It's not like Kathy Yan is a director and then the writing team. It's not like they were like, let's create a diverse group of characters and then put them in this movie. They were available. Yeah, they yeah. were able to pull them and say, okay, here, let's get them into this movie. And I thought that was a really cool key too, that they were able to do that. It exists. It just needs to be shown in a, in a new context. Yeah, I love, I also love seeing Rosie Perez play Renee Montoya, who is another character that originated in that animated series. I just was like thinking like, man, this is so great. This is like a very typical male character, right? It's like a hardworking cop who's not corrupt, <laughs> doing their job, who's like drinking a lot and swearing and just pissed off because you know and in this case like pissed off because she's not being able enabled to do her job right and she's a and i'm just like this is um this is amazing you know <laughs> just and she's uh, the, uh, the other thing that i love about it too is like bringing in <laughs> older actresses mm. you know like Rosie Perez yeah. or Dern or you know bringing back Carrie Fisher of course being able to see that on screen because it's like historically we don't have one that many older actresses working in Hollywood there's only like a few right we've got right, like exactly. Meryl Streep and <laughs> you know, like, there's only a select few that yeah keep there's going. only a few but right. to be able to see older actresses just like killing it and then also having them play like strong characters just don't take any shit is refreshing as fuck um, <laughs> I don't know it's just it's like I said I think they of course there's still problems with it you know of course um, I think DC is doing a much better job than Marvel is doing at this kind of thing and there's you know of course always going to be the fanboy gatekeepers um, <laughs> I've talked a fair amount about this on other podcasts, but, you know, of course, growing up in the 80s and working at both a comic book store and a video store in the 90s. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I experienced a lot of gatekeeper right. who pushed back on my fandom all the time and sure. tested me all the time and questioned me all the time. That's still happening, but what I've really noticed is it's mostly happening in my age group or older. So I would say Gen X and boomers because that's how they grew up, how we grew up. You know, girls don't like comics, girls don't like movies, they don't know anything about it. Right. Um, they can't like it, you know, that kind of thing. And people just are slow to change their minds and don't want to. There's still, you know, it of course leaks in to millennials where with the whole Gamergate situation with Anita Sarkeesian, right, right. like, of course, it leaks in a little bit there. Sure. But in my experience, when I talk to younger people, I don't get that same pushback. I don't, I don't get that same testing. I don't get that same, you know, mansplaining. It's just, <laughs> right. like, it's just kind of like a refreshing, like, oh, you like this movie? Oh, great. I love that movie, too, because blah, 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 you know. So it is, I do think, like I said, I think it is getting better. 
but there's always going to be like these shitty gatekeepers. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's always going to exist. And now going through your history of, you know, working with Sif, covering Sif, being with Smart House, being with Three Imaginary Girls, have you yourself run into situations where you feel, I mean, you described a little bit working at the, those stores and stuff like that, yeah. but in more current context of being part of the film industry, have you personally run into stuff where you feel like there's been dead ends? I feel like my dead ends aren't necessarily because I'm a woman. Um, I think like in terms of not being able to snag certain interviews or get certain access, that's more to do with like, I work for a small independent blog and a lot of publicists don't want to give you those opportunities. I've had great opportunities, but I would say that those opportunities are really just from networking and from being in this area for so long and from knowing all the people that work on those things. Right. I've talked to a lot of amazing people. I've talked to, you know, I've interviewed a lot of really amazing people and been just so thrilled to be able to do that. But um, I can't think of, no, I, I think like in terms of the film critic community in Seattle, I. It's gotten a lot better in the last couple of years, but I would say that there are still, because there aren't that many female critics in Seattle, so it does sometimes feel a little, I don't want to say intimidating. I think 10, even seven, six years ago, it was intimidating to go to screenings and be like one of two <laughs> women, right. you know? Uh, now there are more women and it does seem a little more friendly at screenings. There are a couple people in the community that I feel are mansplaining. It's gonna exist and I enjoy seeing a lot of people at screenings and I enjoy seeing a lot of people at SIF. So right. it's, I would say I enjoy seeing more people now than I did you know, maybe five, ten years ago. Right, right, so. Exactly. <laughs> so for, you, for your experience then in the topic, it's more of comfort level and being able to fit in in those yeah. environments or rather than not being able to participate in the environments. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, it's more... I don't know how to explain it. I mean, as a woman, you're just always also worried about getting hit on or somebody being creepy. And (laughs) it's like, you know, I mean, it happens. It's weird to me that it still happens being the age that I am, but like, whatever. I I think it's just like, it's just a thing. It's just like, God, can can we just like go, can we just go to this event or this screening and just like sit down and not have to be on guard or not have to worry about walking to our car or, you know. Exactly. I think that's the most unfortunate part about it. Yeah, it is strange. And like, it's just like something as women that we just always have to think about. Like, it would be nice if we didn't. What do you see as progress moving forward? You know, not necessarily like your experience, but just within the Seattle community, within the overall film community. What are the next steps that we're taking? I mean, I think it's just being as respectful of everybody else's opinion, regardless of gender, regardless of how long they've been in the scene that you can, you know, I think it's like not being snotty about it, basically. For example, I, I don't know if you saw when I tweeted about Terminator Dark Fate. I did see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was so, this was so interesting to me because I tweeted about how much I love Birds of Prey and I got zero pushback about that. And I was really expecting that I would get a lot of pushback because I saw a lot of pushback online, but I think 
what happened with my Terminator Dark Fate tweet, in which I simply posed a, it was like a strictly rhetorical question <laughs> of like, why isn't anybody talking about how kick-ass Linda Hamilton and Mackenzie Davis are in this? And what happened is the London Sci-Fi Convention retweeted it. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and so immediately after them retweeting it, I was like flooded with responses. Oh, my gosh. gatekeeper dudes that were like, maybe because it sucked. I mean, I didn't see it, but I know it sucks. Oh, no. Or just like, just like implying that I was stupid for liking it or something. And one of the men who replied said like, if you think that's a good movie, maybe you need to watch more movies. And my friend Colleen replied to them and was like, listen, Amy watches more movies than anybody I know. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like I appreciate that, but that's so not the point, you know? And so I followed up with like, even if, even if I had been, I made like a Blast from the Past reference, which is one of my favorite romantic comedies <laughs> that talks about, but it's like, you know, even if I'd been in a bunker, in an underground bunker for 35 years drinking hot Dr. Pepper and Terminator Dark Fate was like the first movie that I saw, my opinion on it would still be as valid as your opinion on it. Right. It's okay for me to like it. It's okay for me to say this movie kicked ass, these women kicked ass. It's not, it doesn't affect you in Anyway, one thing that's really interesting to me when it comes to social media is people turn opinion into right or wrong. Yeah. And if you express your opinion and it doesn't agree with somebody else's, you are absolutely wrong. There's no subjectivity to it. There's no anybody can have their own opinion. This is how it is. And you are a horrible person because you don't agree with this is what it leads to. Bringing it back to Star Wars for a sec, that's the entire Star Wars fandom, right? Yeah. Right or wrong, right or wrong, right or wrong. There is no in-between, which is honestly why I don't talk a lot about Star Wars on my Twitter, because I just don't want to get into it with anybody, you know? <laughs> You're going like, to get that immediate pushback, right? Yeah. There are plenty of movies I don't like that people love. I don't feel the need to reply to all those people and say, nope, you suck. You're the worst person in the world. You should probably kill yourself because you like that movie. Uh, yeah, and you see that, that those exact words, you see that online. I Yeah, so it's like, that's that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. It's right. just like, you know, you see, you see this everywhere, but just let people like what they like. It's okay. It's not ruining your childhood. It's fine. Do you feel that there's been progress in that or do you feel that it's still kind of the same? I think social media makes it very easy to to lob those kind of insults out there. And I, I mean, I, a large part of what I do for work is social media management. Yeah. I've, I've been on Twitter since the beginning. I love social media and I hate social media, but I mean, that's, that's the internet, you know, like the whole internet is like that. There are wonderful things about it and there are horrible things about it. And the horrible things about it are the bullying and the, the shaming and like sort of the glomming on to that. And then the wonderful things about it are like, if somebody needs help or if somebody is having a bad day, like it can go on there. Um, this is especially evident to me with TikTok, which I've been sort of immer immersing myself in a little right. bit. TikTok is so diverse and so, for the most part, wonderful. And of course, there's still bullies and, and mega people on there. And you know, for the most part, it's 
really beautiful to mm-hmm. see all of these diverse people on there, all these youth, um, gay, you know, LGBTQ youth um, who need help, who are looking for a community to see that like lifted up on there is pretty amazing. And I mean, I see that on Twitter too, you know, I see people getting help. I see um, people who have been laid off getting, you know, GoFundMe links and, and getting like enough money to get by yeah. or finding jobs because people have retweeted them. And so I see people lifting other people up. And in that sense, I think that's it's getting better sure. and in the sense that it's very easy to discover people of color working in the industry and right. um, people working in it's like, it's just like, it's a nice it's great to be able to sell that because I think if you don't have access to social media or don't pay attention to it, you're going to miss that piece of it because it's True. just, you know, how else are you going to find out that there's all these great entertainment writers out there that are different colors and different genders. Yeah, so, I think that's one of the big things we're seeing moving forward is just the access. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks to social media and thanks to conventions and stuff like that, you get to see all of these different people and the, the diversity of those people where before when social media wasn't as prevalent as it is, the larger companies really controlled who was out there and who was available and what was available. So as much as there is to complain about it, I also feel like it, it is opening a lot of doors and creating a ton of opportunities. I think that's really where I would like to see a lot of the progress continue is mm-hmm. to let some of that negativity get pushed to the side and hopefully you know dwindle away and just make it a, a space of, of opportunity, really. Yeah, and that also, um, I mean, extends to indie filmmakers, right? Because right. A lot of times you might discover something on social media that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Or I got in touch with this, this indie publicist got in touch with me because she saw me on social media via my I Love Splatter horror movie stuff. And and so because of that, I got to, you know, preview Jovanka Vukovic's new movie, uh, Riot Girls, which is amazing. And like, I feel like people aren't talking about it, but it's so great and so fun. And so just being able to like put a review up about that um, and put that on my social media and have the director like say something to me, which I was like, oh my God. who, by the way, is a great woman director. She does horror stuff. You know, Roxanne Benjamin is another one. Like, I I could, like, go on and, like, list (laughs) But it's, like, that is a... It is a good conduit. Social media is a good conduit for discovering indie filmmakers that aren't going to be in Variety or on IndieWire or in Entertainment Weekly, you know? That's one of the keys of what we need to see more of is these established brands and entities looking at more than just, you know, the the big names and the the big things that they can, really they're exploiting those names because they're names. So how about digging a little further and see if you can create some content instead of just saying, here's these names that you already know, you know, and and that's that's about it. Yeah, I would say actually, I feel like the horror community is making faster and bigger strides in terms of diversity than big Hollywood is, than like as a whole. Yeah, the amount of women directors alone has been huge the last couple of years. I remember um, Revenge a couple of years ago, uh, 
Core, core Life, Life show. Right, yeah. there we go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that is one of my favorite movies of this, like, three, four time period, you know, directed by a woman, about a woman, and, you know, a kick-ass character mm-hmm. that was like, oh, my God, we need this. And it's actually been happening, you're right, in the, yeah. in the genre, it's there. Rue Morgue is also another, it's a Canadian magazine, um, oh, and okay. it's one of the editors and writers is part of Faculty of Horror, which is one of my favorite horror podcasts. These two women, uh, Alexander West and Andrea Subsati, dissect horror films from all years and really take a deep dive into like historical context and educational context, female gaze versus male gaze, like all of these things. And I think like that is, I don't know, I just feel like that kind of stuff is making the horror genre seem more forward and more inclusive. Right, exactly. Um, and then of course we have Get Out, you know, we have Jordan Peele making these amazing oh, gosh, yeah. films. So I feel like it's getting better. It's just going to continue to improve. Right. Yeah, I've been really impressed with what he's doing, not just as a director, but with a producer. He's producing, you know, Candyman is, you know, on deck here in a minute. And then, you know, seeing that type of representation of behind the scenes is super important too, not just seeing the female face you know, yeah. front and center or the, you know, the, you know, ethnic face front and center but to actually have it coming from behind the scenes where there's actually creative control we're talking about birds of prey kathy ann you know she's i think she's from china or taiwan and she had a movie at sif either last year or the year before that i really enjoyed and yeah. it was it's a, got kind of a similar vibe to it and when she was announced as birds of prey director i was like yes that's perfect so you know just seeing her being able to take that step seeing you know a movie like crazy rich asians take a big step yes. and then that's led to you know now we've seen the farewell you know now we've Parasite, there has been kind of a step in that direction because Crazy Rich Asians, I think, should be looked at as like a milestone for Asian culture within the industry because there was stuff happening before, but that really said that was like a large scale, hugely successful movie. And then now you're seeing the bits and pieces of those movies have success too. Like Aquafina is doing what she's doing. She's fantastic. And um, what's, oh gosh, names, names. The actor, the lead actor. Mm -hmm. He's getting more opportunities movies and Constance Wu's getting more opportunities and yeah. you know, you're just seeing this ripple effect by that and then now each one of those is creating more waves and it's to me that's been one of the most amazing things of the past couple years is yeah. the progress of what I call Asian cinema. Yeah there's um, and to all the boys I've loved before yes. and uh, always be my maybe which I <laughs> loved so good uh, yeah and I think like you know obviously I am 100% white totally <laughs> But, like, I don't want to just see movies with only white people. Like, we have enough of those movies. (laughs) Exactly. I want to see movies with other people in them. I want to see diverse casts. I really do. I don't need to see any more movies with just 100% old white dudes in them. Right. One thing I wanted to ask you, too, as we're wrapping it up, people can find you at smarthousecreative.com. Correct. And threeimaginarygirls.com. Is that the website? Yes. And ilovesletter.com. Lots of places to find your work. Lots of places, yeah. We're all over social media as well. It's um, Team Smart House on Instagram and Twitter. Smart House Creative on Facebook. Three Imaginary Girls. It's the number three imaginary girls on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And we're on Facebook as well. And then Isla Splatter is just at Isla Splatter. 
Perfect. And for everybody listening, I'll have all of those links on the webpage for this podcast post. So go to the webpage and check out all that stuff and find all the social media, all the websites. Go to it and enjoy <laughs> Amy's work because she is fantastic, super creative, super fun. So Amy, thank you so much for being a part of this diversity and film podcast series. And any last thoughts you want to add before we wrap it up? I mean, let's just keep pushing to make it better and more friendly. <laughs> again, thank you, Amy. It's been a pleasure and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening, and one more thank you to Amy Simon for being part of the show. Episode 8 of the 206.com Diversity in Film podcast series will be released on Monday, June 22nd. The episode will feature Tim Hall, a Seattle-based podcaster who is commonly known here in Seattle as the People's Critic. Tim is a fellow member of the Seattle Film Critics Society and was the first person I reached out to when putting this podcast series together. Make sure to mark your calendar and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the episodes in the series. Also, if you do need to catch up on any of the previous episodes, you can find them on 206.com and through most major podcast outlets. If the podcast outlet you are using has a podcast rating option, please consider leaving a positive review. As always, thank you for your support and thank you for listening to the 206.com Diversity and Film Podcast Series. <laughs>